Okay, we're, uh, we're trying a new setup here as well, so bear with us as we uh, uh, get all this together. My hope is that I don't trip over this, um, but uh, I think we should be good to go. We're going to be in the, in the book of Lamentations today, so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open them up. Lamentations is a book in the Old Testament. It's fairly easy to find. Uh, It is somewhere in the middle. And it is right after two of the biggest books that you'll find in the Old Testament. If you find uh, Isaiah and you find Jeremiah, it is the book uh, immediately following uh, those two two books. And so in the Old Testament, somewhere in the middle, you'll find a book called Lamentations. It's a six-chapter book. Uh, that we're going to be going through here for the next couple weeks. And as we do, would you allow me uh, to pray as we get started? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the blessing of technology. We thank you that uh, though we are uh, apart right now, uh, we are also very much together. So, Father, I pray that you would bind our hearts and our minds and and our lives together as one, Father, I pray that you would meet us where we're at today, whether we are scared, whether we are sad, whether we are uh, joyful or excited, whatever it might be, Father, we want to ask that you would come and minister to us. And Lord, as, as the, the old hymn says, we meet to part and we part to meet, would we be meeting together uh, very, very soon? And would you have your blessing on this time as we look through uh, Lamentations 1 through 3? And it's in Christ's matchless name that I ask this. Amen. Well, in 1896, Edwin Arlington Robinson published the first volume of a book of poetry called The Torrent and the Night Before. Included in uh, that set is this VNL, and a VNL is a, is a kind of poem that's not a big deal, but he wrote uh, this VNL poem called The House on the Hill. And The House on the Hill was a response to the broken marriage that he was suffering through at the time. His wife, whom he absolutely adored, had left him. And if you were to cross-reference other poems written by Robinson at this time, uh, he writes of a man in one poem that is destitute of lonely, uh, of, from loneliness because of this uh, fracturing of the relationship, and it actually ends up becoming literally the death of him. Well, in The House on the Hill... Uh, He writes after the immediacy of her departure and by using the metaphor of an old empty house to describe the pain and emptiness that he feels now that she is gone. This is what he writes. They are all gone away. The house is shut and still. There's nothing more to say. Through broken walls and gray, the winds blow bleak and shrill. They are all gone away. Nor is there one today to speak them good or ill. There is nothing more to say. Why is it then we stray around the sunken sill? They are all gone away. There is ruin and decay in the house on the hill. They are all gone away. There's nothing more to say. And though Robinson is describing the downfall of his marriage, he is adequately describing 
the feeling that the prophet Jeremiah had as he looked out over the streets of Jerusalem in B.C. 722. Jerusalem was the capital city of the southern kingdom. It was the crown jewel of God's people. It was the place where God's temple was, which is the place where God's presence was said to dwell. But there always seemed to be this this arrogance on the part of God's people. It was this arrogance that, that we see throughout their entire history. And what that arrogance was bound up in was that God was always going to have their back regardless of how they behaved. It didn't matter if they sinned against him. It didn't, wouldn't matter if they, if they went and worshipped other idols. They believed that even in that sort of lifestyle that God would protect them. And so the southern tribe of Judah had all these kings and they had all these priests that led them astray, that led them to to take their focus off, off of God and instead worship idols. Because of this, ironically, God used their enemies to destroy them. The the Babylonians came in and they took not only God's people out of Judah and exiled them to, to Babylon, but they also completely decimated the city. Those uh, that were left noticed the streets. The streets that were once bustling with life had turned into a ghost town. Everything was empty besides all the bodies that lined the streets from Babylon coming in. And the other thing that he would have seen were the, were the orphaned children that were walking around the streets without clothes on that are desperate for food, desperate for help, desperate for shelter. This is the scene that Jeremiah walked onto when he wrote the book of Lamentations. You know, there are far worse things that happened during this time that I just described of of Jeremiah, that he witnessed, that he will indeed describe in this book. And if you and I were to actually see everything that Jeremiah saw in the streets of Jerusalem, it would make us sick. And so Jeremiah looks out at these empty streets, and he is saying with Robinson, They are all gone away. There's nothing more to say. You know, in these last few weeks and the coming weeks, we've been singing along with Robinson. You're at home right now because you're ordered to be. Just a couple days ago, Governor Walls uh, put out his edict that made our town closer to a ghost town for the next two weeks. We miss our friends. We miss our family. Some of us miss going to work. I'll bet some of you had never even thought that you would ever say those words, that you miss going to work. But it's all about a life that was taken away. Our lives have been totally turned upside down. 
It is the first thing that comes into our mind when we wake up in the morning, and it is the last thing that we think about before we fall asleep restlessly at night. My friends, the book of Lamentations meets us in that uncertain, sad, and seemingly hopeless situation. It is, uh, in its, it is raw in its assessment of the human condition, the depths of despair and tragedy, but it also shimmers a hope that is very hard to find in darkness. And today we're going to look at only the first three chapters of Lamentations, and we're going to learn something about ourselves. We're going to learn something about our situation. And most importantly, we're going to learn something about our great God as we go through this. So if we want to return to hope with where we are at today, during this unprecedented time of uncertainties, we need to do three things. And the first thing that I I believe we need to do is that we need to get real with ourselves. Get real with yourself. In chapter 1, Jeremiah mourns through the perspective of the city itself. And throughout the chapter, you can see how Jeremiah provides this this introspection for the city. First, he describes what what, uh, the city has experienced in verses 1 through 7. But look with me in uh, verses 1 and 2. It says this, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Does that sound familiar? How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all of her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So you you get the sense here in these two verses that permeate then through the next five verses that this city is not what it used to be. He provides no reason for it. He will later. But for now, he just describes the situation and the experience. And friends, for you and I to begin uh, healing on the road to, to healing through this, it is important that you and I mark this experience. It, sh- it shouldn't be clinical. Well, we're stuck at home. Nowhere is open. People are not going to work. You know, those things are true. But if we want to find hope and healing, we have to get real with ourselves. It is okay to see your experience in terms of your emotions. We live in a fallen world. Sin has affected every aspect of our lives from our thoughts to our words, to our actions, but also to natural disasters. 
all the way down to tiny, invisible viruses that can shut all of us in for who knows how long. Though I don't think we have the right to complain about it, we can mourn. We can be sad over this. And in verse 8 and following, Jeremiah moves to the acceptance of what happens. Look with me in verse 8. Jerusalem sinned grievously. grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, and for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. And she took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all of her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. So in other words, Jeremiah here is reflecting on the fact that the city's current misery is her own doing. The people had had forsaken God and made other things object of their worship, idols, Sexual immorality, money, corruption was, was rampant. And because of that, God sent them, sent the Babylonians who were their enemies in order to wake them up and bring them back. And God was not in the wrong for doing it. Look at verse 18 up here. The Lord is in the right for I have rebelled against his word. Remember, Jeremiah is talking from the perspective of the city here. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone away into captivity. So, so the city looks back and sees that they are responsible for all of this. And as a result, verse 16 says, for these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. So church, understand what I am saying and what I am not saying here. What I am not saying is that the, the COVID crisis is God's response to our sin and rebellion, that it is some sort of strange judgment. We don't know that that is true. And because we don't know that is true, it is dangerous and irresponsible to say that this is all in, in some sort of, of judgment capacity. But what we, what we can say is that God is absolutely sovereign, and for whatever reason, this whole crisis that we are in right now is part of God's plan for at least two purposes— 
first for you and I to have some sort of introspection and also to see if there are any ways in which we have walked away from God. If we're separated from him because of our sin, whether intentionally or unintentionally, or we just haven't had relationship with him for a long time. Friends, God is calling us back to him. If we're separated in that way and if we have not gone to him recently, we need to see what Hosea wrote in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. Check this out what he writes. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and, and he will bind us up. After two days, it's not an exact measurement, it's just the literary device he's using. After two days, he will revive us. It's a short time. And on the third, he will raise us up that we may live before him. You know, get this. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So maybe today you are feeling like your life is totally in pieces right now. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you have things going on in your heart that you wouldn't want anyone to know about. God is using this tiny virus to bring you back to him. And whether it's COVID or maybe just a messed up life, get real with yourself. And chapter 2 tells us then, once we get real with ourselves, what we ought to do. And that is that we ought to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. You know, whenever you're in a pinch uh, or you're suffering, unless you're a really stubborn person, you are going to go to the person, you're going to go to the group, you're going to go to the organization that can do something about it. If you are, are sick beyond your ability to care for yourself at home, you go to a doctor. If you are in financial trouble, you go to someone that can help you, that is good with finances to do that sort of thing. But where do you go if all your options have run out? You're out of time, you're out of resources, your friends can't help you. Jeremiah tells us to go to the same place that we ought to go even when things are not going wrong. We need to go to the Lord in chapter 2, he first describes what God has done in response to their sin. Look with me in verses 1 through 5. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. 
He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand. In the face of the enemy, he has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of its places and has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. So we could keep going on and reading that passage, but I think we we get the point the Lord has absolutely devastated them. The natural question from that would be, why would we go to such a person like that that would do such a thing? But in order to stand the justi- understand the justification of God here, we must first see the greatness of God. That God is the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. That he was before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the greatest being in the entire cosmos. And scripture tells us that he is holy. And what it means to be holy is to be set apart. It is to be untainted by sin. He is far greater than anything else in existence. He is the standard of good. And because he is the standard of good, he has called you and I to emulate him in his goodness, in his morality. But because we are sinful and unable to fulfill that mandate, and not only because we aren't able to, it's also because we don't want to. We don't want to live by God's rules. We want to be the captain of our ship. We want to be the kings and queens of our own kingdom. And because of that, God shows his justice. You and I have broken every one of his laws. We have set up our own kingdoms. Now, none of us, I would venture to say that no, uh, no, not one of us would say that a judge is good if, if there was a case before him murder, rape, whatever you want to call it. And, and he just let every single person go for no reason. That's not a good judge. In fact, that's a corrupt judge. And God, as the judge of the universe, looks at us and sees how we have gone astray from his ways. And so he seeks 
justice. He must deal with human sin. We'll get to the remedy here in our third point, but for now, see the ramifications of the national sins of God's people. It's not abuse. This is justice. And we need to grasp the holiness of God and the depths of sinfulness, of sin, in order to get this. In verse 17, Jeremiah even confesses his grief that God is right. Look at verse 17. The Lord has done what he has purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Now, for whatever reason, you and I are, are, uh, well, you are at least at home. I'm here, but we're in this crisis right now for the next two weeks uh, and can't leave unless it's necessary. You can't visit grandma in the retirement home. You cannot go see family and friends at the hospital unless they are at death's door. For many of us that suffer from anxiety in which I am one of them, this is an incredibly stressful time which makes mental health very hard to manage. And on top of all of the stress of that, we still have all the normal stresses of our lives if COVID wasn't even around right now. Some of us are cooped up with families in homes right now with serious relational problems. Time, uh, times of stress like this puts an even greater strain on fragile marriages. It amps up the nervousness in those of us who are in the at-risk category. For the hungry, this is a very difficult time. So what do we do? Jeremiah tells us that we cry out to the one who is not only holy, who is not only just, but is also very good and very merciful. Look with me in verses 18 and 19. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches, Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. We're talking about a God here who is not only just, but this is a God who hears our cries. This is a God who not only hates sin, but he is also the one who is quick to forgive. 
Psalm 103, verses 2 and 2 through 5 says this: Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquities? Who heals all of your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? He is the one who tells us to ask and will receive. He is the one that says, pray and I will hear from heaven. Psalm 62 verses 5 through 8 says this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Friends, this is a God that we need not just now during a crisis, but this is a God that we need with every breath that we give and have. This is a God who will come to you and to me in our time of need, and he will change us. He might not change our circumstances or our situation. He might or he might not. We don't know if he will, but we know for sure that he is wise in his purposes, and, uh, and he will also change us into the image of his son if we are trusting in him, which is his ultimate purpose for you and I to grow in Christ-likeness. So we need to call out to the one who can, who can hear, listen, and do something about our situation. But then finally, we are to rest in his mercy. Rest in the mercy of Christ. In the first 18 verses of chapter 3, Jeremiah continues this description of uh, what has happened. But this time, he's not from the perspective of the city. This time, it is personal. He details how this crisis has affected him personally. I encourage you to, to read through it. It's a longer chapter. The first two are only 22 verses, and this one is much longer than that. But when you have some free time today, I encourage you to read all of chapter 3. But... In verse 19, we see this transition in his thought. It is as if he is, he is snapping out of this funk that he is in, and he turns his gaze to the Lord. Check this out, what it says in, in verse 19 of chapter three, 3. Remember my affliction and my wandering. 
the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So in light of everything that has happened around him, the devastation, the, the suffering, the misery, the agony that he sees around himself, Jeremiah reminds himself of the one central truth that he can rest on. And we see it now, and starting in verse 22, he says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth to the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. This, friends, is where we need to plant ourselves deeply in. We can take these truths that we see here to the bank. His love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Every morning that you wake up and COVID is on your mind and you're swimming with thoughts about how are you going to get through the day, his mercies are new even then. When you wake up in the morning to a marriage that is in shambles, his mercy is new. Every morning that you wake up and you remember your loneliness, his mercies are new again. Every morning that you wake up not knowing how the bills are going to get paid, his mercies are new even then. You can wake up facing anything that this world will throw at you simply because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So it is with that that we can sing the great hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. We know that there may yet be 
hope. Not just because Jeremiah says so, but because God secured this hope in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus secured not only our redemption from our sin and our bondage to sin, but when he hung on the cross and in his resurrection, he freed us from the tyranny of anxiety. The fear that during difficult times that we ask questions like, Will I get this COVID? Will I lose my business? Will I lose my job, my house? Does God even hear? Does God even care? On the cross, Christ secured our hope. Because he died, because he has risen from the grave, we can live in faith and not in fear that God loves us and that he will indeed take care of us. Jesus tells us that, that God cares for all the birds of the air and not one of them will fall without his command. How much more will God care for you and me as well? In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, notice what, what Paul writes here. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus instructs us on something that is profoundly wonderful. He says in verses 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Christ alone, we can be freed today. We can be freed from anxiety. We can be freed from worry. We can be free from despondence. We can be free from sin's power over our lives. And indeed, the, the, this world is messed up as it is. But in his death, and in his resurrection, he provided the most powerful vaccine to the pandemic of sin. He provided forgiveness, restoration, freedom, righteousness, a totally new life, and a new found relationship with God. And the only way to receive these blessings in Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, is by trusting in him. It is to realize that uh, all other objects of hope and meaning 
and trust will eventually fail us. We need truly lasting, truly satisfying, truly life-giving hope, and it is found only in Jesus. And it is with that, in Christ, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is only in Christ that his mercies never come to an end. It is in Christ that his faithfulness is from generation to generation. It is in Christ alone by which our salvation has come. It is through Christ alone that God will have compassion according to his steadfast love. And maybe you're watching this morning and you know and you can feel that your heart is very busy. It's being torn in so many different ways. Your mind is going a billion different places. You can't even get your thoughts together. Maybe you're watching today with the weight of guilt on your shoulders. Maybe today you are hurting with various maybe aches and pains or maybe even emotional pains of shame or regret. Whatever it is, come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me who are tired, he says. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, Jesus tells us. And you will find rest for your souls. If that's you today, I want to invite you to come to Jesus, to receive him as Lord and Savior, to recognize that apart from him, there is no hope. We can return to hope. We know that there may yet be hope, that there is hope only in Jesus. Today you can be freed. The house on the hill doesn't have to be empty. You can trust Christ today. I'm going to pray, and if that is you, I want you to pray with me to receive Christ. And then drop us a note that he is working in your life so that we can love you and help you grow in the hope that is in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I recognize today, Lord, that I am a sinner. Lord, I have gone astray from you. I have done my own thing. I've set up my own kingdom apart from you. But Lord, I don't want life to keep going on like this. Lord, I want there to be hope. 
I want there to be a purpose. And so it is with that, Father, that I receive Christ Jesus today. He is my Lord, my Savior, my God Almighty. And in Him, I trust. Lord, would you do that work in all of our hearts today? And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.